Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. It feels like it's been a while since I've been here. Uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind couple of weeks for Hannah and I. We had two weddings and a funeral, uh, about a thousand miles of travel with two kids and a dog, and our power went out last week, and we lost a tree, and man, it's just been like a pile of crazy at Pepin headquarters. And uh, man, I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I gotta be honest, I'm exhausted. I am just absolutely exhausted. Uh, But I'm so glad to be here with you guys and to get to worship God with you, to get to preach and teach out of God's word with you this morning. Man, our passage is like just ridiculously good. And so I'm really excited to get to lay that out in front of you. Man, I just be honest, I just really appreciate your prayers. I'm just really tired. (laughs) Uh, Like not just like physically tired, but I'm just... It's just been a, a lot the past few weeks, and I'm just exhausted. And so I just really appreciate your prayers for me. I just the Lord would give me whatever I need to love and honor and serve you guys this morning. So, uh, man, I'm so thankful for Andy and Aaron, who preached while I was away, who showed Jesus to you guys in the pages uh, that describe uh, Abraham's life and his son Isaac. Man, I listened to both of those while I was away. Man, they did such a great job just, like, laying out Jesus for you guys and putting him in front of you. Um, this week we actually fast forward a generation, and uh, this morning we're uh, going to take a look at the story of Joseph. Um, there are, man, we could spend a whole lot of weeks in the 10 plus chapters that, uh, of Genesis that uh, talk about Joseph's life, and uh, I really hope one day we get to do that. Um, there is just such incredible richness there. But this morning, instead of uh, spending 15 hours going through that uh, we're just going to take a look at the last few verses of the whole book of Genesis, the last few verses that wrap up the story of Joseph. And my heart for us this morning is that what we'll see is, is the point of the whole story. That we'll see all that the story of Joseph was leading to and pointing to and, and culminating in. And man, I just, I just hope and trust and pray that it'll be just like just incredibly good news to your hearts. So before we get to the end of the story of Joseph, like Let's just do a brief recap, right? It's probably been a while since you saw it on the flannel graph or since you watched the VeggieTales movie about it. So let's just do a, 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 a little review of the story of Joseph, right? So Joseph's story begins in Genesis 37, and we meet this kind of cocky, arrogant uh, kid. And he's tattling on his brothers, and he's getting them in trouble. And he is shown just this incredible amount of favoritism by his dad. And he's cocky, and he's like overtly favored. And so his brothers hate him. Just absolutely hate him. They hate him so much that they actually are like just inches from murdering him. When one of their brothers steps in and says, let's, just, let's not murder him, let's just sell him into slavery for the rest of his life. That'll be much better, right? And so uh, Joseph is, uh, winds up in Egypt. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. And he ends up in this uh, guy, Potiphar. He's one of the uh, leaders in the Egyptian government. And he ends up in his house as a servant. And the Bible just tells us that Joseph excels, that the Lord is with him, that everything he does, that everything he touches, the Lord prospers. And so Joseph rises in Potiphar's house, and just when it looks like things are finally going well for Joseph, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and Joseph uh, rejects her, he kind of rebuffs her, and instead of just kind of letting that go, she instead um, falsely accuses him of rape. And so Joseph, just when things are going up, he actually gets tossed in prison. And so he's in prison, and 
while he's in prison, there's these two guys that are there that were um, former uh, kind of uh, officials in the, in the Pharaoh's courts. And so um, they have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams for them. God gives him wisdom and discernment to, to understand their dreams. And, and uh, the, both of these dreams come true. And, and so one of these guys is restored to the, to the Pharaoh's court as his cupbearer. And two years later, Joseph's been rotting in prison for two years. And two years later, the Pharaoh has this, this just worrisome dream. And the cupbearer is like, I remember a guy. And so he calls, and he tells the Pharaoh about Joseph. And Pharaoh calls Joseph up, and, and the Pharaoh relays his dream to Joseph. And Joseph, um, by God's grace, God reveals the truth about it. And what Joseph says is that there's, there's what's happening, king, is that there's going to be seven years of incredibly good harvest. And there's going to be seven years of the worst famine imaginable. And for his wisdom, the Pharaoh... Um, gives Joseph, he puts him as second in command in all of Egypt. This just like this incredible thing. And he puts him in charge of preparing for this famine. And so Joseph goes to work doing this. And, and everything comes through. These seven years of great harvest come. And then there is just deep, deep famine. And it f- stretches far north, actually far north into Joseph's hometown. And his family is just starving, and so they hear that there might be food in Egypt. And so Joseph's dad sends his brothers down to Egypt to go buy food. And they come into Joseph's court. He's the one who's in charge of all of the grain and in charge of all this stuff. And they come into his court, and they don't recognize him. But he sees them immediately. And there's a few chapters of this kind of exchange and of kind of the, all the, the way this interaction went. And then what happens in the climax of the story, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he forgives them. He just like lavishly, abundantly forgives them. They don't even apologize and he just forgives them. And more than that, he actually saves his entire family. He brings them down from where the famine is. He brings them into Egypt and he gives them the best of everything and he gives them the best land and the best provisions and all the stuff that they could need. And he just lavishes blessings on them. And so God uses Joseph to save his entire family. And as you guys heard last a few weeks ago when we talked about Abraham, God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham. God's keeping his promise by saving his people through the person and work of Joseph. So Joseph is just incredible. Like it has all the makings of any great stories, right? It's been sung on Broadway and by singing dancing vegetables alike, right? It's just this, it's just, it, has the, it has the makings of a great story, of a great song, right? It's, just, it's the coming of age story of a young man, right? And it's this overcoming of obstacles and this triumph in, in the end. But the story of Joseph doesn't end there, <laughs> In fact, Joseph's not even the main character in his own story. God is. Just like the point of every story in all of the Bible is really about God, this one is the same. You see, the goal of Old Testament stories especially is not to teach lessons or to give us like a model to imitate. The goal of the stories is to reveal something about God. It's to tell us something about him, to reveal something about who he's like and what he's done. And the story of Joseph is about God as well. You see, throughout the story, through all the pain and all the joy, through all of the waiting and finally in the consummation of all things, Joseph is coming to know God more and more. 
It was changing him. That, that cocky kid that we met in Genesis 37, and you'll see he's, that's not the same person that's before us in chapter 50. You see, coming to know God has changed Joseph radically. Apostle Paul prays this for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and discernment so that you might know him better. That's the Apostle Paul's prayer for this whole church. God, I pray that, you'd, that, you'd, that they would know you better. You see, Paul is praying, just like Joseph experienced, that we wouldn't just know about God, but that we'd know him, experientially that we'd know him, deeply, truly that we would know him. And our pastors this morning, a final story from the story of Joseph, the culmination of all this transformation that God's brought about in Joseph, it's a powerful picture of what happens when we're transformed by God and by who he is and all that he's done. So this morning we're going to see uh, three ways that knowing God has transformed Joseph. We're going to see Joseph choose forgiveness instead of bitterness. We'll see him choose compassion instead of judgment. And we'll see him choose provision instead of restitution. So let's dive into our passage this morning. Let's look for Jesus on every page and pray. Genesis 50. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your God, of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done so that the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. I thank so much for your word. And we're just so grateful to get to read it and study it. God, we're so grateful that your word is about you and not about us. Help us see you in your word. Help us see you, the Lord of the word. God, give us eyes to see who you are and all that you've done. Cause us to respond in worship as we should. God, I just pray that you'd fill me with your spirit so that like there's anything of value this morning in our time together. God, I feel just especially exhausted. I just need your help. Amen. So Joseph, he's been transformed by God, and the story here picks up 17 years after that, the climax of the story where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And Joseph's dad has just died, and Joseph's brothers, they're worried. And you think, what is going on there? I thought we ended with the happily ever after in chapter 45. And although there's the past 17 years should have proved to the brothers that they have no reason to fear Joseph, they still do. Verse 15 says that they're worried. They say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They think, what if Joseph was just being nice to us because dad was around? 
and he just really loved his dad, and so he didn't want to hurt his dad. What if he was just being nice to us, just, just, to, just to please his dad? Now, now, now that dad's gone, maybe Joseph's, maybe that, now he's gone, he's really free to just get back at us, to pay us back for all the things that we did to him. And so they're afraid of Joseph, and they're so afraid they don't even go to him face to face. Instead, they send a message, and their message in, involves them in fresh sin, because their message is a lie. They make this up. It's not, Jacob didn't tell them to say this. They just make this up. And their strategy is that maybe we'll just remind Joseph our dad. I'll just tug on his heartstrings just to make sure, just to see if he'd forgive us. And Joseph gets their message in verse 17. And, and verse 17 ends, it just says that he wept. Now, commentators take a number of views on what that really means and, and what that infers about what Joseph was going through and what he understood. But I think the one that makes the most sense to me and the one that seems to fit in line with the, the whole story of Joseph as well as the story of, of the Bible altogether is this. Joseph weeps at his, at his brother's message not because it's the first time they've ever apologized for selling him into slavery. He weeps because it reveals his brothers don't actually believe they've been forgiven. I can only imagine what Joseph is thinking. What more could I have done? What more could I have done to show you? All those years in Egypt, I gave you the best of everything. When I could have subjected you as my slaves, I blessed you abundantly. Don't you remember the grace that you were shown on that day when you were before my feet and I picked you up and I hugged you and I forgave you? When it was in my power to crush you, don't you remember? I saved you. My forgiveness that day wasn't a, a show. It wasn't an act. It wasn't a means to some other end. You see, long before Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food and long before he had the power and authority over them to crush or save them, Joseph chose forgiveness over bitterness. See, Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers, I just need you to hear this, it wasn't a dismissal of their sin. It wasn't just like, a, ah, don't worry about it, guys. No harm, no foul. Everyone's cool. It was just a little slavery. Like, that's not how he responds to them. Verse 20 says this. He says, he says you intended me harm. ESV says, your intentions were evil towards me. Joseph's saying, I see you. I know, I know what you did. I'm not ignorant of that. I'm not naive. I know exactly what happened. I know that your hearts were evil. I know that you wanted to kill me. I chose long ago to forgive you for that. You see, cheap forgiveness ignores or forgets the wrong. But priceless forgiveness counts the cost of forgiveness and pays it willingly. We don't ever get insight into how Joseph came to that, how he was able to like forgive his brothers and not want to kill them in return. Like how there is just this deep-seated bitterness in his heart. We don't, we don't get any insights into that. But as one pastor notes, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. 
See, the road to forgiveness is not denial, it's not enabling, it's not forgetting the offense, nor is it a, a response to an apology. Joseph's brothers have never even acknowledged their sin against him until this moment. They've never even acknowledged it. pastor goes on to say, forgiveness comes when we confess our bitterness. We remove the person's control over our emotions. We let go of revenge and leave justice to God. You know that you have truly forgiven when you want the best for someone who has sinned against you. That's how you know. And I don't know about you, but it would be incredibly hard for me not to harbor bitterness against a family that sold me into slavery. But from the moment Joseph sees his brothers in chapter 42, he starts blessing them. You you don't bless someone that you harbor bitterness against. You bless someone that you are, you're free to bless someone you have already forgiven. Joseph forgave his brothers long before they showed up in Egypt. He chose forgiveness over bitterness long before the moment they come groveling to him after their father's death. And so Joseph, he weeps for his brothers. His tears aren't happy tears. They're not like, oh, finally you guys get it. You're sorry. No, their motivations are crap. Their motivations are just worried that he's going to hurt them. They're not actually full of sorrow. They're not actually repentant. They're just afraid. And so Joseph weeps for his brothers. Because although they're forgiven, they still live in fear and under the burden of their sin. And although they are loved as his family, they still think that they should relate to him like slaves. And although they are blessed beyond measure, they can't enjoy their blessing because of their own guilt. And Joseph's tears reveal the second thing, second way that God's been changing him. That he chooses compassion instead of judgment. How stinging Joseph's, how stinging those words would have been. He sees right through the crap. He sees right through their motivations. He just weeps. You see, they reveal that his brothers don't really believe they're forgiven. But more than that, it just reveals that their motivations are worthless. You see, instead of Responding in judgment, though, in anger to his brother's fear, to their lies, to their pathetic excuse for an apology. Joseph's response is full of compassion. Verse 19 and 20, he says, brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. He says, I know you meant evil for me. I already forgave you. Even more than that, through your evil, I've come to see the the great sovereignty of God in a way I never could have before. I've experienced his unmatched authority. I've experienced his absolute control. I've experienced his, his unrelenting presence in the midst of trials. And in spite of the evil intent of your actions, God used it for good. Man, just, do you see the weight of this? God used... The evil intentions of Joseph's brothers to save them later. Do you see that? Joseph's brothers hated Joseph. They sold him into slavery. 
And God used their evil to bring about their own salvation. That's craziness. Like, that's the, that's the magnitude of God's authority. That's the magnitude of his control. That's the magnitude of his goodness to bring about in our evil, our own salvation. That is incredible. And so Joseph says to his brothers, I just imagine him saying, I won't play God before you. Am I in the place of God? I won't play that role. I can't. After all these years, I'm not going to pretend that I know how things are supposed to go. I'm not going to pretend that I can even make them go the way I think they should. And I'm not going to exercise judgment against you as though the final say for things belongs to me. He says, no, don't fear, brothers. I'm not in God's place. I'll leave that to God. And it frees him to offer compassion for his brothers. There's this famous 4th century poet, a Christian poet. He wrote this describing Joseph's response. Joseph wept and said, don't be afraid of me. For although your father has died, the God of your father, on whose account I will never strike you, he is still alive. See, the reason Joseph doesn't take vengeance is not because his brothers deserve it. It's because he knows God. And God's been gracious towards him. One commentator writes, it's one thing to recognize God's sovereignty, his power and control. It's another thing to keep one's self and one's role in proper perspective. Joseph not only has a firm picture of who God is, he has an equally important understanding of who he is not. And so Joseph's response is full of compassion, but it's not just his words. It's his tone as well. I can just, I'll just be straight with you. And my response to the brothers would have been like, you have got to be kidding me. Seriously, guys? After all of this? And Joseph's response is just altogether, it's just like convictingly different. It says that he speaks kindly to his brothers. That he reassures them. That's not how I respond. I'm pretty sure that's not how you respond either. He's not angry at their worthless motivations, their lack of faith, or their offensive excuse for an apology. He's full of compassion. He's gentle with them. I can just imagine him. His brothers are lying on the floor. Joseph, we'll just, we'll just be your slaves. Just, just don't kill us. And he lifts them up off the ground. You're not my slaves, you're my brothers. I love you. You're forgiven. Be free. You don't have anything to fear. I'll take care of you. And it leads us to the last evidence of Joseph's transformation by God. And that Joseph chooses provision instead of restitution with his brothers. Verse 21 ends, the passage, Joseph repeating, don't be afraid. This is now the fifth time throughout the story of Genesis that he's told his brothers, don't be afraid. He says, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you and for your children. Instead of taking vengeance, instead of getting even, instead of restitution, Joseph offers grace and provision over and over and over and over again. 
Joseph promised not only to take care of his brothers, but to take care of their descendants as well. He says, my forgiveness extends past our father's death. It extends past your death. It goes all the way to your kids. See, Joseph never gets even with his brothers. He never even demands that they make up for their mistakes. He never demands an apology from them. He just freely forgives them. And more than that, he just lavishly blesses them. Chapters 45 through 50 talk about all of the ways that Joseph blessed his family and he brought them to Egypt. He gives them the best land and the best animals. He gives them the best of everything. How incredible is that? This cocky kid we met in Genesis 37 who's tattling on his brothers and using his favoritism to his own advantage now uses all of his power, uses all of his authority, not to get even with his brothers, but to save them and bless them. See, the trials of Joseph's life, he met God in them. God changed him radically. You know, I I think it's easy to look at the story of Joseph, to read the story of Joseph and think, man, what an inspiration Man, that forgiveness is incredible. I need to be more like Joseph. I just need to be straight with you. If you read the story of Joseph like that, the only thing it can be for you is a stone around your neck. Because you and I, we're not Joseph. We're not like him. If we're honest with ourselves, we are far more different than him than we are like him. Put me in Joseph's place, the story does not end the same. Even now, I'm angry. I just get angry at his stupid brothers who didn't even actually apologize ever. And you see them, you're just like, you, you, you idiots. And I just get angry at them, and I don't even know them. They're thousands of years dead. I don't even know them, and I get angry at them. Joseph's response is altogether different. And I think just really gracious this this week as I've studied, as I've prayed, as I've... I just sought to bring God's word before us this morning. I think God just has really graciously been showing me that it's not Joseph we're ever meant to align with in the story. It's the stupid brothers. (laughs) See, just like the brothers, our actions are often full of evil intent. Just like his brothers, we doubt often we've really been forgiven and we live under the burden of our guilt, which leads us to more sin and fear instead of freedom and enjoying the blessings and forgiveness that we've already received. Just like his brothers, we often relate to God like slaves instead of family. Just like his brothers, our motivations are often self-serving and flawed. And just like Joseph's brothers... We need somebody to save us because we can't save ourselves. And just like Joseph's brothers, the story of Joseph can be good news for us as well. Because Joseph was not the end, he's not the hero of the story. 
He's not the one to be imitated. He points us to someone else. He leaves us longing for the one who would choose forgiveness instead of bitterness towards us. He leaves us longing for the one who would choose compassion instead of judgment towards us. He leaves us longing for the one who would choose provision instead of restitution towards us. The story of Joseph, it leaves us longing for Jesus. See, Jesus is our Savior who chose forgiveness instead of bitterness towards us. When we rejected him, even when we should have loved him, instead of choosing bitterness, he chose forgiveness and he ran after even dying that we would know his forgiveness. His forgiveness was not cheap. It wasn't a cosmic reset button. It wasn't no harm, no foul. No, his forgiveness cost him his life. He willingly paid it. He willingly traded it for ours. His forgiveness is full and complete. He holds no grudge. There is no bitterness harbored in Jesus' heart towards you. But you've got to receive it. You see, the brothers, they were forgiven, but they had not received it. That is true of some of you this morning. Maybe you believe that you have done something so bad that God could never forgive you. I'm sure Joseph's brothers probably felt that same thing. They basically killed their brother. That's what they meant for it. That was their intentions. Imagine the weight of that. Maybe you're overwhelmed with guilt like his brothers were. You you live in fear of what God must think of you. And like Joseph's brothers needed Joseph to kindly tell them, I know your evil deeds. I still choose to love and forgive you. And you need God to say that to you as well. You need to hear him say it to you again. I see your evil deeds and I love you still. I choose you still. You see, that's what God said to you and Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said that to you. He says it to you again in the story of Joseph. You have to receive it. You have to take it. You have to lay hold of the forgiveness he freely offers you. You don't deserve his forgiveness. Joseph's brothers did not deserve Joseph's forgiveness. But like God, Joseph offered it freely to them. Or maybe you're like me, and you've trusted in Jesus' forgiveness, and you do believe that he loves you. But when you sin, you feel like the need to kind of beat yourself up a little bit just to make sure that you... You know, just to make sure that the penalty's really been paid. You know, just to make sure that you're really sorry. And I just need you to hear this. Like, when we do that, what we're saying, we're spitting in Jesus' face and we're saying, Jesus, what you did, it wasn't enough. Your suffering wasn't enough. I need to add something to it. I know that none of us would say that, but that's what our actions reveal. And maybe like me this week, that was what God convicted you of. (laughs) And you felt like guilty or foolish or you're feeling convicted, and I'm with you, because I needed God to remind me this week. 
that Jesus chose compassion instead of judgment towards me. And like me, you need God by his spirit to graciously pick you up off the floor and say again to you, you're not my slave, you're my child. I love you. And you need his gentle voice, the voice of his spirit to speak kindly to you, to reassure you of his great love for you, of his unending patience with you, of his compassion for you in the midst of your foolishness. God is not looking down on you and thinking, look at this idiot, doesn't he know? No, he weeps over you. And he longs to hold you close and remind you, son, daughter, you're forgiven. Let me tell you again. Let me show you again in Joseph's story how all I've done for you. Let me show you how fully you are known, yet how fully you are loved. Let me remind you again in Joseph's story that just as Joseph chose provision instead of restitution with his brothers, in Jesus I chose that for you. The blessings of God's kingdom are already ours, freely offered to us. We don't need to pay God back for the pain that we've caused him. We don't need to we don't need to pay him back for the evil intentions and mutinous rebellion of our heart. Jesus already paid it. It didn't just get reset, it was paid. And Jesus did that joyfully because he loves you and he did it completely so that you could love him back. And so you're free, as 1 Corinthians says, to no longer live for yourself but to live for him. That's the gospel. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. It's Jesus on every page. You see, Joseph's words, his actions... They're, they aren't just profound. They're incredible. They're unbelievable. Can you imagine being one of the brothers? To have your brother lift you off the floor and say, I love you. You're not my slave. I love you. You're forgiven. Let me remind you. Jesus' words to us are exponentially more incredible than Joseph's to his brothers. Because Jesus was truly innocent. And we still killed him. You see, I need you to hear this. Until we receive, until you see yourself as the recipient of what Jesus has done for you as the true and better Joseph, you will never have the heart that is melted enough. You will never have the heart that you need to choose forgiveness instead of bitterness with others. You will never have the heart that you need to choose Compassion instead of judgment with others. You will never have the heart that you need to choose provision instead of restitution for others unless you see that Jesus is the true and better Joseph who has done it to you. And so the question is, how's the gospel both convicting you and empowering you to forgive others and not harbor bitterness? Not just to forget or to ignore the ways that you've been sinned against, but to choose forgiveness. How is Jesus' forgiveness of your evil intentions enabling and empowering you to forgive? Our family, our spouses, they're often the most difficult to forgive because we're hurt most by the ones we're closest to. Joseph's brothers, they tried to kill him. 
So the question is, how does Jesus' forgiveness enable you to forgive, to truly seek the good and the blessing of those who have even hurt you? Not demanding or requiring apologies, but free to bless no matter the response. How is the gospel both convicting you and empowering you to choose compassion instead of judgment to those around you with your coworkers who just, just drive you insane, who are out for their own intentions and their own good and who trample over you and over others? Aaron often tells his kids the bullies at school are often the ones who need love the most. How does the gospel empower you to have compassion for those who have hurt you? For those who are opposed to you, the only way you ever have compassion like Joseph does is if you understand the compassion you've been shown by Jesus. How is the gospel convicting you and empowering you to choose provision instead of restitution? Jesus didn't demand you pay for your sins. He paid them for you. He did it for you. And so he blesses you abundantly in the midst of your crap motivations and your self-centered actions and mine. That's the, that's the magnitude of his forgiveness towards us, of his provision instead of restitution. You see, it wasn't cheap forgiveness Joseph offered his brothers. It was full of tears. It was full of an acknowledgement of their sin and of their rebellion and of their evil. It was costly. but it was full and it was complete and it was free for the taking. And what Jesus did for us makes Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers look dim and unimpressive. Oh, that we'd see the gospel in all of his words that we'd see the gospel as better news than the story of Joseph. <laughs> that we wouldn't be able to help but share it with the world around us. That our hearts would be melted by Jesus' forgiveness of us so that we would empower us to forgive others as he did. That we would live in response to his incredible grace and that every day we would love Jesus and give ourselves gladly back to him as we see him on every page. Tim Keller says this, he says, and the word of the Lord shows us the Lord of the word. God's word, the story of Joseph, it shows us something about God. And more clearly, it shows us something about Jesus. I hope, uh, man, I'm kind of a mess up here this morning. <laughs> I hope you see uh, my heart for you. I hope you see my longing to put the Lord of the Word before you. To always point us to Jesus, not just this, in this series, but always. You see, he's the one that we need. He's the one that we long for. He's the one that I love. He's the one I long for you to love. And I pray that you would know the Lord of the word as I do. Sometimes I get emotional, obviously, and I'm also exhausted. But my tears aren't, I'm not 
manipulating you or I'm not just like manufacturing something. The gospel is good news to me. I long that it would be good news to you. I want you to see Jesus as the good news that, that Joseph's brothers saw Joseph as. And so come to him. Let him love you. Let him forgive you. Let him empower you to love and forgive others as he does. Let him change you. You aren't worthy. You will never deserve it. But you are freely offered his love. So take it. For your good, for your great joy, for your life, and for God's great and abiding glory. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we're so thankful uh, that you are the Lord of the word, that you reveal yourself to us in your word. God, we're so thankful that the story of Joseph doesn't end with him. It doesn't culminate in him. It's not just an example that we're supposed to imitate, but that it leaves us longing for you, the one who would choose forgiveness instead of bitterness towards us, the one who would choose compassion instead of judgment towards us, the one who would choose, uh, would, would choose life for us, God. And so, God, we just come just... God, it's so hard for us even sometimes to reach out and take it from you. My God, and so we recognize that even you are the one who enables us to receive it. God, help us to receive your grace and love. God, there are those of us who are here this morning, I know, who just feel like there's no way that we, you could love us. There's no way that, that you could like forgive us for all that we've done. God, speak gently. God, remind us, speak to our hearts this morning. Now, there's nothing that could keep us from you. Thank you that the story of Joseph is one of incredible, unbelievable forgiveness and reconciliation, but that the story of the gospel is so much better than that. We love you, God. Thanks that you would love us first and God, and empower us to give ourselves back to you. Amen. <laughs>